Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today we get to listen to Hayden, a 26-year-old Australian who's been traveling for the last four and a half years. And I was lucky enough to bump into him on my travels down in Nicaragua. And I really got to know him because we spent actually quite a few months together in the same little town and really found him to be fascinating. And what's even more interesting is how he's kept this, this dream alive. I mean, he's designed this life for himself where he's literally been on the road for four and a half years, bumming around the world, picking up odd jobs doing really cool activities and adventures. And he's actually on his way back to um, Central South America in the next few months and going to be starting a nine-month motorcycle ride, which we'll get into later in the show. But with that said, I'd like to introduce Hayden to the show. Hayden, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chapin. It's a pleasure to have you, man. Super soaked and excited to get to hear your story because we shared a bit of time in Nicaragua and had some fun adventures. And you know, like you, I've tried to design a life where I get to be mobile, but I mean, you've been doing it for a consistently longer amount of time than I've ever achieved where you're actually mobile, you're moving, you're not staying in one spot. And um, if you don't mind, maybe we can just kind of talk present moment and we'll kind of work our way backwards um, and how you kind of achieve this lifestyle. So if you don't mind maybe sharing like where you're at presently today, location wise, and uh, and we'll just kind of start there. Sure. So at the moment, I'm in um, Northern California. Um and I've just done two and a half months working on a, a legal marijuana farm, um, trimming weed for the, the market in, in the United States. Um, yeah, this is a seasonal thing. So it starts in October and goes until around December time. Um, and then during the rest of the year, I'll find whatever I can, whether it's bar management, bar working, uh, reception management. It has a lot to do with hostels. Um, just because my uh, foreign languages is not so crash hot so i do a lot of uh jobs that any english speaker could do really i see yeah we've had a few other guests in the past like krista romano and um uh, a couple that are living in cambodia um steve and jen who have taken the tefl and gotten their english teaching credentials and go around the world doing that but it sounds like you kind of pick up jobs just in in various locations where just your natural ability to speak english enables you to work there it's it's that a lot, and it's just the ability to be able to just do anything or just blag my way into thinking that I, I can do anything. So, like, I was working in North Mexico in this place called Mazatlan, mm-hmm. and I was the head of maintenance for a hostel, and I was there for a month, and it was cruisy, easy, amazing, great job. Like, what would you do as head of maintenance in a hostel in Mazatlan? I was... Literally, like doing plumbing, pressure cleaning, um, screwing bunk beds into bloody gyp rock, um, um, like concrete walls, and doing a bit of concrete, moving stones, a bit of tiling. Like I did everything, and I'm not really a hundred percent sure. I'm definitely not trained. I've seen it done. I have mates that do it back in Oz, but I just just flying by the seat of your pants, working it out. If someone asks you to do something, you look it up real quickly on the internet, or you just give it a go learn by doing that's amazing um i mean go into like what kind of 
a com- were they supplying you with cash to do these kind of jobs or is it kind of just trade a uh, place to stay and some food? Yeah, free accommodation and food. Okay. But then in between those types of jaunts that you do, I mean, you still need money to kind of get around, don't you? Or is that a misconception? What I try and do is I have these places that I work at. So like, for instance, Nicaragua, um, Playa, Playa Gante, where I met you, where I use the accommodation and the work exchange for a sort of pause on my bank balance spending. So I'll, I'll have like enough money for maybe six months of travel, but I'm going to travel for eight. So for two of those months, I would like to get a volunteer job somewhere where I'm spending sort of way less than I would usually. And in those times, I, I'm not spending too much money and I'm not saving much money, but I'm just flying sort of cheaper than I could, would be if I was, um, if I was uh, just traveling usually normally. Right, right. So yeah, you slowed down your spending. You're not, I mean, it's really up to you. You could stop spending completely because they're basically taking care of your, your food and accommodation, but to have fun, you want to have a few beers. So you're more or less spending your money on a few beers here and there. I think the only thing that I would pay for would be actually beers, beers and uh, my horrible cigarette addiction and possibly like a meal out every now and then. But apart from that, in Nicaragua, I was living on uh, $10 or less a day. Good for you, man. That's great. Good for you. I mean, since you've been at this for so long and you've made a pretty nice lifestyle for yourself, I mean, do you see yourself doing this forever? Was this the intention when you left home to begin with at 21? Did you set out to have this kind of long-term lifestyle on the road as an accomplishment or, you know, whatever? Absolutely not. I set off with a six-month plan in my eyes. And then that plan just got extended when I started seeing other things that I wanted to do. And I I initially left for six months, then I wanted to live in a foreign country, so I lived in Europe for uh, three years, and then I wanted to travel to South America and Central America, so that's the next plan. But then I have my always my view on the horizon, like what's after that, or Asia's after that, and then after that, I don't know, Africa maybe. So it always just it keeps compounding the time that I spend away, and it's not there's nothing I can do about that now. I got the travel bug. That sounds like it. So have you completely, um, I don't want to say forfeited, but I mean, do you have any interaction like FaceTime with your family back in Oz or do they come and visit you? Do you kind of get to spend a, a little bit of time with them back in Oz in between stopovers or something like that? I, um, my family is super, super important to me. So I would talk to my dad and my mom at least one time a week. They are the guiding light of my life. They don't completely agree with what I'm doing. I mean, my mom especially. She wants to be with me back in home. Uh, but my dad does. My, um, my whole sort of interest in traveling stems from his, his stories when I was younger. So he gets it. That's cool. What kind of vagabond was your dad when he was your age? Oh, he was the loosest of units. Big mustache, big afro, hitchhiking around Europe, hitchhiking around India. His stories are the, the whole reason why I commenced this trip. Sounds beautiful, man. So what would your mom have preferred you to become uh, rather than a vagabond traveler? I think she just wants me to be her son that lives in her house for the rest of my life, eh? Okay. Or, you know, just maybe doing doing that regular thing that you you're – program to think that you need when you're younger go to uni get a job work for the man save money for superannuation retire blah 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 shit 
<laughs> have you gotten any sort of um, post uh, high school? I don't know if you have uh, the equivalent of high school in Australia, but do you have like a, a university degree or started any kind of university degree? Yeah, I finished my Bachelor of Economics and Finance in, at Wollongong University in Australia. Okay, wow. So yeah, so I guess you left at 21, which is approximately the time you'd finish university and, and you haven't done any with it, anything with it, I'm assuming. The best thing about my degree is that I, it's on my resume and people see it on my resume. Apart from that, I've done absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's an interesting point that you say it in that way, that they see it on your resume because, I mean, for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like a lot of what college and university is about is is just the accomplishment of getting through it because it's not that easy. And it's not that you came out with the degree that now you get to like go make tons of money with. It's the fact that people see that, oh, you actually can sit through something that's fairly miserable and get through yeah. it, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think that it that has the majority to do with it. I know people that have graduated in one thing and they're not even working in another thing. Um, in they like, completely opposite thing they're working in mm -hmm. and you wonder like how did you get to that and it's just the picture on their resume and people are like well if you can do that you could probably do this mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit more about your adventures man because you've had a lot of them so when uh we parted ways in nicaragua you jumped in a car that happened to be going in one direction that you kind of wanted to go and you said i'm leaving tomorrow and it was nice getting to know you and maybe we'll see each other again one day and then hayden was gone and kind of kept in touch, not really, but I, I know you were kind of driving around Central America and Mexico with uh, kind of a friend who you had loosely started the trip with. Can you go into more detail on that? Yeah. Um, first, I'll say it, I, I am the worst to keep in contact with people. It is close to impossible. And um, yeah, so I was in Nicaragua and uh, a friend of mine that I came down to visit and I actually worked with last year in Northern California, he had bought a car after last year's adventures. And he was, um, I just joined up forces with him and we um, meandered our way up north, surfed along the way up to Mexico. So we uh, like surfed Nicaragua and El Salvador, uh, Mexico a lot. What and uh, it was incredible. What was uh, driving like? I know, especially for Americans, you know, there's a lot of fear about um, what's going on presently with the cartels in Mexico. And then unfortunately, I know you had some... Um, some um what would you call them people that are from australia of your age group um unfortunately murdered while driving through mexico um yeah that was really sad i saw it on facebook i mean what was your experience life like traveling around these countries going through borders um as as a traveler is it mellow is it easy what's it like i think the worst thing about it is that the borders take a long time to get through because of your car. Apart from that, it was amazing and safe and in incredible. The landscape, incredible. I At no point did I f was I worried about safety. We drove at nighttime in El Salvador. I think the main issue is maybe nighttime driving around um, borders. But I, I do really believe that it was just a freak incident that happened to my countrymen um, with those other Australians that got done. Mm -hmm. a just a freak incident yeah i guess you know anybody can get unlucky and it does happen and you kind of have to go out into any any part of the world or just even going outside your house knowing that anything can happen you know it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to a different country to have bad things happen to you so yeah it was a without a doubt that was a sad story and so 
you just continued on driving and did you drive that same vehicle from Nicaragua up to Northern California? Yeah, we did. Um, we split away in Mexico for a little bit. I, uh, I wanted to go traveling on my own for about a month and Jason stayed in, uh, Mexico. Uh, Jason's the guy that I went with. Mm -hmm. And then we met up forces again in Sayulita and we went all the way to Northern California. And how the car fare? I mean, did you have a lot of car problems or was it pretty easy to keep that thing alive? The car's great unless you don't want to go into fourth gear. So the other three gears, you beauty. Oh, that's classic. So you drove in third gear from Nicaragua to Northern California. Well, we're actually really lucky. The, um, the fourth gear only died about the time of once we got into California. So she survived all the way from Northern California to Nicaragua and then all the way up to California and then fourth gear cut out. <laughs> Well, that's cool, yeah. man. So you've been up in Northern Cali and you're cashing up and you have a big adventure on the horizon. Can you talk a little bit about that, the motivation for that adventure? So when I was um, traveling with um, Jason and Lau, the guys that have this car, I really, really love the, the sense of freedom that you have with a car. And I've, uh, I've traveled by buses, by trains, by hitchhiking, by walking, by hiking, and that the, that was the first time that I actually jumped into a vehicle where I I have absolute freedom and we can go where we want. We can go shopping any day we want. We don't need to wait for public transportation. You can go to beaches that no one else is at. And that really encouraged me to have my own transportation for my next trip. And as I'm only one person, I think that a motorbike would just be absolutely ideal for my next trip. Yep. So, okay. Yeah. Motorbiking through South America. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. And how do you start to plan and prep for that kind of adventure? It's really quite amazing. There's a website that's just built around this sort of stuff. It's called Horizons Unlimited. Mm -hmm. And on that is just a plethora of information. You can find information about uh, travel insurance, about r routes that people have taken, um, places to buy motorbikes, the step-by-step -step process for registering your bike in a, in a country, it's insane. It's, it's, it's where I've been basing most of my, um, my planning from. Oh, that's amazing. I've never heard of it. I'm going to look it up right after we're done with the call. That sounds like a great resource. Thank you for sharing that. No worries. So you'll go to, I think you mentioned Chile and you'll buy a bike based on what this website has kind of given you as an idea of the easiest place to buy a motorcycle. Yeah, so from looking at all of S South America, I feel that Chile is probably the, the easiest place to buy a motorcycle. And then, yeah, so I'll look for one and buy one in uh, Santiago, Valparaiso, mm -hmm. and just head south along the, the west coast, go to Argentina, and then head back up to Uruguay on the north coast, and then back across to Chile, and then back up the west coast. That's That's my general goal. I see. And like, how much are we looking at spending on a motorcycle? I don't want to spend more than three thousand US dollars. I would like to get one for like two or two and a half. Okay. But I, I, I have a little bit of room to play, play around with that. I see. It just depends if I really want to go, go bush, just go the bare minimum, or go something that I, I know is going to get me everywhere. But it, half of me almost wants to just get something that I know won't really make it all the time. So I, I have the challenge of like finding someone to fix it and looking for gas here and 
talking to some people there and having a camp rough. Because my, my favorite way to travel in my whole life has been hitchhiking. And I love the, the fact that you can meet locals that way and you can, you get invited to people's houses that way and you just really get to know the locals. So, I mean, I could save a bit of money and get something that affords me that as well. That's cool, man. I mean, I've done a little hitchhiking myself and for me, it's actually, um, the opposite. I, I dislike hitchhiking for that exact reason. I mean, I do enjoy the, the people that you meet because you meet a lot of special ones, but you also meet a lot of people that, I don't particularly like sitting for hours in a car having to chat (laughs) with, you know, I guess that's the compromise. And so I try to avoid it at all costs, but I I see your point. You do have a lot of really cool experiences that you wouldn't have had with the convenience of a motorcycle or a car, you know, that keeps you kind of isolated and insulated from the rest of that country and that experience. Absolutely. I, I actually find with hitchhiking, if I'm talking to English speakers, I find it hard to talk about things because we get each other instantly with the English. But if I'm talking to someone in Spanish, then it's a beautiful opportunity for me to just try my best Spanish and them to laugh at the stupidity that's coming out of my mouth and just to like really connect on a level that's just, I, I suppose, that it's not used to and I'm not used to either. You're abs- so for me... No, sorry to interrupt. You're absolutely right, man. That's That's a beautiful way to describe it. Um, sorry to interrupt you. That was, you, you were on a roll with that one, but my, my quick, right. the quick question was, you know, with, with having the motorcycle and, and crossing borders, how's that going to work with having the right registration papers and so forth to get across borders with it? So the crucial thing that I need is the titolo, which is the title of ownership. Um, and I went through all the, uh, necessary things that I needed to do when I was traveling with Jason and Lau and they had the, the ownership of their vehicle. So I just need to make sure that you, I own the vehicle. And as long as I get to the border, I check in myself to cross the border. And then I need to check my motorbike in to cross the border. And it's, it's really easy as that. And is it, um, cost a lot of money? Um, it's, it's a little bit more than crossing yourself, but it's not a, it's not a huge cost, sort of a cost that you, you sort of just add in with the travel cost. I see. I see. Well, that's cool, man. That's uh, and so. How long do you plan on uh, motoring around South America for? Ideally, I'd like to do a nine-month trip there. I'd like to do the summer down south, and then just slowly work my way back up north. Um, I'd love to do another season next year back in Northern California. So that is the only thing that would be keeping me uh, to any schedule. Mm. Um, ideally, if if conditions are perfect and I get a really nice bike, I'd love to ride that bike back up to California. So I have a um, a bike for next season. Wow, that's quite an adventure, man. That's a lot of uh, kilometers or miles to cover in, uh, yeah, in which, nine months. Which is why like, it really depends on what sort of bike I got. Of course, of course. Um, what kind are you thinking like uh, brand-wise? I've been looking at uh, Kawasaki's. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got these 650 Enduros that are just exactly what I'm after. But the, the, they're really hard to find in South America. Um, the best place to buy one of them would be California, but then I'd have to get my registration in California. So now I've just been looking at whatever sort of Enduro I can find in, um, in Chile. Mm-hmm. And I found a beautiful little Honda today, Honda Falcon. Used or brand new? Used. Okay, nice. 
And so you, you mentioned you might try to get some waves. Are you going to strap on a surfboard to this motorbike when you motor around? That would be the ultimate plan, yeah. I really hope that I can somehow find a way to do that that doesn't really wreck the economy of the bike. And I've been looking into that for the last few months. So I'd love to just strap a surfboard like to the right or the left side and just surf the whole coast because the Chilean coast is insane. It is. Yeah, I was just there in December. It was beautiful last December, a year ago. You know, you can get racks in uh, the States and take them down with you. They're super simple. That's what a lot of people are doing, I know, in Nicaragua. That's a brilliant idea. That is a really good idea. But yeah, man, that's great, man. Are you going to do this solo or do you have friends joining you? I actually would prefer to do it solo this time around instead of traveling with too many people. I I, I think I thoroughly enjoy it more when I'm on my own. It's impressive, man. Four and a half years. You're 26 now. I mean, let's let's talk realistically. Like, how long do you think you're going to keep this going for? I mean, do you have the plan? You have any desire to like get married, settle down, anything like that? I I honestly could not tell you. I mean, every time I think that I probably will end my trip, I find the next place that I want to go and visit and accomplish. And there's just the world is so huge, and I just don't think that I'll ever actually finish seeing the things that I want to see in it. I mean, I'm gonna I will I'm gonna try to just keep going for as long as I can. There's always the pressures from back home and I felt it. I went back home to Sydney for two weeks and it just it was not my ideal place to be. A lot of um a lot of career mindedness, a lot of um long term relationships and I just don't think I'm ready to um, do something like that. I don't un- know myself enough and I haven't seen what I want to see to lock into a sort of contract with life. <laughs> Fair enough. It sounds like you're open to it though. You know, you're, you're not putting any definites on, on the end game. It's just staying open to what is and where you're at now and, and continuing, continuing on to move forward as, as you see fit. Oh, absolutely. I think I'm a, I'm sort of, I could lean any direction. I'm sort of moving in what I feel as though is my goal. But I, I, I get influenced along the way and things, uh, things, ch- I mean, I, I'm a malleable sort of goal oriented person. Yeah. Do you see yourself ever being able to actually permanently live in a place, say like Chile, or do you always kind of foresee maybe you eventually going back to Australia? I mean, I so saw, I guess you kind of answered that by you're just open to whatever, huh? Yeah. I mean, I think right now, but I think that's, a lot of the flavors that I've tasted lately, I would really like to live in Mexico for a while. Maybe Mexico City and use my degree for a little bit and get some experience. But what do you like so much about Mexico? Mexico, great language, great food, great culture, amazing people. And if I lived in Mexico City, it's just an hour and a half to um, Puerto Escondido which you know what how Puerto Escondido is. Yeah, I did. I didn't even know it was that close. I've actually never driven from Mexico City to Puerto, but that's, that's really close, man. Oh, it's by a flying. Um, oh, okay. Like an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah, it's nothing. But that's it's like a $40 flight. Like That's great. You could go in there almost every weekend in that case. <laughs> yeah, if you had a nice job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are you doing for travel insurance? Do you have any of it or you just kind of wing it? I haven't had travel insurance for four years. Is that concerning to you or you've kind of, what have you learned by not having travel insurance over the last four years? 
I'm definitely more cautious, but I can't work out if it's actually cautiousness because I don't have travel insurance or cautiousness because I'm getting older and I'm getting more sensible. I would say that the only issue that travel insurance has is that my parents are more worried than they usually are. I would say that for my next trip with the motorbike, I will get it because I am doing something that I know is a bit more dangerous than my usual right. running around, you know, yeah. But in reality, though, I mean, nothing that I have, I'm worried about losing. Like You could steal my backpack and I'd still be functioning as a human. I don't have anything in there that I worry about. My computer's four and a half years old. I bought it in London when I was there. Um, my phone is useless. I don't even mind if it gets taken. Um, nothing really is an issue. The only big issue is my health. And I'm, I'm cautious enough for that not to be the, a deciding factor in some decisions I make. Because I guess, yeah, the biggest concern is, is something either catastrophic or severe enough to where like even getting medical attention in a third world country is going to be cost significantly more than you want to pay. Would that be accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of places that I've been to, I feel as though the medical costs are not a, a, a giant worry unless I've broken like legs. And then I, I would probably trust the medical attention I'd get in Australia more. But I mean, I'm a very cautious traveler. Like I'm not going to do anything that's going to you know, put me in a, a, a dangerous position. And I, th I think that the reason is because I don't have travel insurance, but it's also me as a person. I, I try not to really place myself in front of danger too often. Yeah, fair enough. I think that's something a lot of people think about, you know, with especially as they get older, you know, safety and security, you know, with the job, the insurance, the medical. And um, it is something that I know I meet a lot of travelers who, um, start to really hone in on the different countries around the world that they can get the best sort of medical attention when it starts to become wow. time to retire. You know, like there's a lot of people I met who've been on the road 20, 30 years, you know, they love it. And then they get older and they start looking at places like, you know, Thailand or Sweden or places where they get, you know, good medical attention for a decent price or even for free, you know? Yeah. I did. I definitely see that. I mean, my parents are planning a trip now because um, they they just recently retired, and I was trying to convince them to come and meet me in South America, but they're all like guns blazing about going to Europe mm -hmm. and going to see the North North America, and I just couldn't convince them to come down and join me in South America. And I think that, that has a lot to do with it. What the uh, the safety issues of the, such a place? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you see two older gringos walking around, it's, it's a way different, um, bag of, bag of chips. And if you see like a young, um, a young gringo that speaks the language. Let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, so do you think that by traveling to South America, you're somehow safer than traveling to Europe? I couldn't answer that question because I haven't actually been to South America, but Europe is insanely safe. Okay. I think I find myself thinking about this question a lot where, I mean, I've been around the world at this point a few times and been to places that I perceived as, you know, fairly dangerous. In fact, like I felt like by what I was observing, like there is actually some, some reason to be concerned for my well-being. And the only place that I've actually ever had an issue was in Europe. <laughs> wow. You know, so that's I, very interesting. You mentioned that because the most unsafe I've ever felt was in LA. 
Interesting. I mean, I can understand that, dude. <laughs> um, but that's in, that's insane because you've been to like Managua and like crazy Ru- like Russia and other crazy places, and and the the, the unsafest I've felt is in like the motherland, uh, the U.S. of A. I know it, man. It is interesting when you think about all the Americans who are afraid to travel, and the reality is, is that you could get take a wrong turn in Los Angeles and find yourself in a really bad predicament, you know, where if you fly to Chile and you land in Santiago, I mean, I don't know all the ghettos of Santiago, but you know, it's, I don't think there's much difference, you know? Oh, for sure. No, might even even be safer in Santiago. I don't know the statistics on that. I think it's very hard to work out how safe or unsafe a place is by the internet or, government websites or anything like that if someone's not been to the place and can't give you an accurate description of the place then they it's really i can't take their advice with any any strength because i i was going to morocco and i was i just hitchhiked from um all the way through spain and i was looking on a government website for australia the uh, visa requirements for an australian to go to morocco and they said to me, oh, it's not safe to go to Morocco. And the reason was that someone had, a tourist had been shot in the, in the next country, Algeria. And I'm like, well, th- that seems ridiculous. And they said, like, it's a strong warning not to go to Morocco. And I went to Morocco and there was absolutely no issue anywhere at any time. The only maybe issue is that at night times, there's no women walking around. So they harass you, the men, I suppose, and it's, yeah, the people are just trying to sell you stuff and you know how that is. You, you get over that pretty quickly. That's a great point. You know, you go, you find out, you abide by the same sort of cautious behavior that you might apply in your own city of Sydney, you know, or in LA where it's like, yeah, I wouldn't go walking around at night until I'm very comfortable with my environment and I know that I'm in a safe environment, you know, and I think if you apply that type of logic to your travels that you're going to be just fine in 99% of the places unless, yeah, you get unlucky, which can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I think that is the, the unluckiness. It's unlucky when these things happen. Um, and I think that you can be unlucky in any country. I could be unlucky in Sydney. I could be unlucky in the Netherlands or London or, or um, Orange County or, you know, right. it's, it's all about the unluckiness. Right. I think though, and we can, we can, I think both agree that when you're, when you're out in a city trying to say score drugs, you probably are putting yourself into maybe one of those unlucky situations that something could go wrong. I think if you want to do something that you're going to, uh, walk the tightrope between safety and unsafety, I think buying drugs is the best place to do it. Apart from that, I don't see many situations where you're going to be in a, in a tough situation where you could get hurt. But buying drugs, definitely, it, it brings that out. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think I have any really more questions to ask, dude. Um, do you have anything else you want to share that you think that if somebody were to want to kind of adopt this lifestyle or design this type of lifestyle for themselves, you could kind of give them some encouraging words or a place to start? I think the biggest thing is to take that first step. I don't want to sound super cliche, but... I had some people ask me, like, how did you go to this country without knowing anyone and have a job and live a life and live there for two years and blah, blah, blah. 
And it's like, I just did it, man. I just did it. It's, it, it was hard. It, nothing comes easy. It's all about being comfortable in yourself, enjoying your own time, um, being fine with not having some friends to begin with or people to hang out with and just being yourself and just take, without saying cliche again, just take the plunge. Take your first step into the adventure. How about financially speaking, though? Would you do you try to travel or land in a certain spot with a certain amount of money in the bank account to give you that um, like nice little buffer? I I always try and have something. Can you give and me a I number? All, depends where I'm going. So for Chile, how much are you trying to have as a buffer when you land in Chile, or can you give it's me a spectrum? A, I have the most money at this point in time than I've ever had for any of my trips. So I don't actually think that I will travel the way that I usually travel this this time around. Mm-hmm. I won't need to work. I won't need to volunteer. However, I love to do those things because it's a way to actually spend time in a place and see the things mm-hmm. as they are for the locals. Mm-hmm. What's the least amount of money you've landed in a new place with? I landed in Central America last year with 15, 1,500 euros. And how long did that last before you had to start re-upping it? it I, I landed in May, and I made my way until October. So May to October is when you ran out of money, ran out of 1,500 euros, and you had to start thinking about ways yeah. to make money again. I had $20 left when I first got paid at my first farm in California last year. I spent maybe three months homeless in California last year. Homeless meaning what? Define homeless for me. I had a tent. I had two friends with me, but I was camping in an old uh, abandoned uh, train depot. And you had literally no money? Uh, I had, yeah, I was on like a few hundred dollars. And then I went back down to like Southern California. I found a farm and the day that I got paid, I had $20 left in my pocket. And is that the thinnest you've ever ran your budget? Absolutely. Yeah. That was worrying. That was the most worrying time of my travels. Yeah. Have, uh, are your parents supportive enough to where if you ever got yourself in a bind, you could call them for money? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I needed them, they would be there. Um, but I really try not to as much as absolutely possible. Yeah. Fair enough. We gotta, we gotta make it through this world on our own two feet. That's right. It's beautiful, man. Well, Hey man, thank you so much for sharing your adventures. I hope that people out there, uh, get inspired and and take that plunge as you said i hope so man i'll I'll just say like one last thing when i first left australia and i was in rome i was staying at this party hostel and i lied in bed my first night and i just i was like i'm so out of my element i just want to cry i have no idea what to do and i thought to myself don't start this whole adventure of your life by crying because you you're out of your element and you'd have no idea what to do Start it by just starting it and don't think about that. And I, I went to bed and I woke up the next day and this, this whole adventure began. And at no point since that beginning have I felt that way again. Very sound advice, my friend. Beautifully said. Thank you for joining me, Hayden. You uh, enjoy the rest of your time in America. Stay safe and good luck on your next adventure, brother. All right, mate. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. 
to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.